Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Hello, friends. It is Christmas weekend as I'm recording this particular episode of the Cyber Guy podcast. In this episode, uh, I am welcoming Greg Schaefer. He is the principal partner of VCISO Services in Franklin, Tennessee. He's also the host of his own podcast called, what is it called? He, the Virtual CISO Moment Podcast. And he also does um, a morning a morning sunrise um, live cast on LinkedIn every morning. I see that pop up on my LinkedIn feed. So check him out at either one of those places. I talked to Greg at the national cyber summit in Huntsville a couple months ago, and I've just been, I'll be honest with you. I apologize to Greg in advance. I've been just tardy in getting some of these particular episodes out since I've kind of directed more focus to the daily podcast. I do the cyber smart morning news podcast, which is available at all your favorite podcast providers. I've been kind of lacking on this particular podcast. So hopefully in the new year, I can find a nice happy medium between the two. Um, but I guess we'll see. So, you know, there's been a lot of news going on recently. I want to touch on one particular one that kind of happened this week and that I mentioned on my other podcast, and that is the FBI takedown. I'm using takedown in quotes um, of the Alf V black hat, black cat rather, uh, infrastructure. So Alpha V is a ransomware group. They create ransomware and then they basically lease it out to what they call affiliates to use to target particular institutions. Now they allegedly have some rules when you use their, their particular ransomware tools that you're not supposed to hit critical infrastructure or hospitals or stuff like that. Well, the, they've done hundreds of millions of dollars of damage to companies across the world over the last several years. And so the FBI was able to get a confidential human source within the group and identify some of their infrastructure and ultimately uh, disrupt that infrastructure by taking it offline, seizing the domain, getting some decryption keys that allowed them at least to help 300 known victims get their files back. Now, there's several thousand that still don't because there's different decryption keys for different affiliates and things like that. Ironically, with this particular incident, if you will, after the FBI seized the domain, Alpha V seized the domain back. Now, all they had to really do was move the servers. It's not like the FBI went in and raided anything. They just kind of used some decryption keys and some other stuff to take the domain over. Alpha V had the same keys. They took it back, and it's constant struggle, tug, tug of war. And that made some interesting news headlines. A lot of people talked about it. And I, I don't fault the law enforcement action because... Honestly, if you're an FBI, and this is the Miami office, apparently was leading the charge on this and good on them that they were able to do the disruption. But at the end of the day, no one was arrested. No one's going to jail. Um, some companies will get their data back, which is fantastic. Um, they may, I, I, I think I read they seized some information for um, some cryptocurrency. So if they can get that money back and, and spell it out to some victims, that's a win as well. But at the end of the day, nobody wins going, no one's arrested. No one's going to jail and Alpha V black cat still exists. Um, they've actually said that all of their requirements for affiliates to not target certain entities is now off limits. They can target whoever they want. Um, and so what will likely happen is we will probably see, 
um, a heavier attack surface, or uh, that's that, that's the wrong terminology, um, a heavier set of attacks coming in 2024 as this kind of ramps up. Now, did we expect ransomware to decrease in 2024? Probably we did not, but this is certainly not going to help it. But again, it's one of those things where it's hard to look at and say, okay, is this a good news story or a bad news story? It's, it's really, it, it's, it's a good news story in the sense that, again, they were able to disrupt the group, um, but it's just a kind of eh, news story in the sense that it's a whack-a-mole or anything else because the group continues on. They will continue on, and this is not the last we'll hear of this particular news story. Um, but it was interesting, and I just wanted to kind of give my opinion there on that, being a former FBI cyber agent, cyber supervisor who kind of worked these cases and, and kind of knows how it works, right? That you get into the problem as a as a cyber investigator as to what is the best approach to finish this case, because the cases, you can't just do them in for infinity something's got to happen to because they're not going to spend money on it the whole time and spend resources on it you have to do something like this you have to arrest someone like that's what that's why child porn cases were actually so much simpler uh when i was a supervisor and an agent because you knew who you were targeting you knew where they were you had plenty of evidence and you could go play handcuffs on them and it was great and that's maybe a story for another day but um it, it, it's hard in the cyber world to, to actually find some success. And there have been successes recently. Um, there was another news story where 3,000 people were actually arrested that were involved in a series of different fraud schemes online. So, so again, thumbs up to that. Interpol kind of led that, but the FBI and other countries helped with that. So that's a good news story as well. So there are some good news stories coming out. I'm not saying this, all this to, to kind of downplay how law enforcement deals with cyber crime. It's just, it's hard, right? It's, it's difficult to do. Um, but, you know, the, there's people out there fighting the good fight and trying to do the thing and, and, you know, help people who have become victims. And that really is kind of the goal of what we all try to do. Um, as always, if you want more information, more insightful information like this a couple places you can check me out you can find me on linkedin linkedin.com slash ian slash darren mott i have a Substack now cyberguy.substack.com cyber spelled c-y-b-u-r i post about once a week on there with more expansions on thoughts that i have or opinions i have on things i post on linkedin because it gives me more space basically to kind of free flow that i actually have a my latest article is on all the new tech you're going to get for christmas um, and there's some tips on there how to secure that tech how to protect your kids online and some social media rules. If you're a parent and you have kids that are want social media, and this is the first year they're going to have social media, a set of rules you can use with them to, again, help keep them safe so they ultimately do not become victims down the road. With that, let me get into my interview for this week. Again, it is Greg Schaefer from Franklin, Tennessee. He runs a company called um, Virtual CISO Services. Basically, they provide virtual CISO um, services services for companies who can't afford a full-time CSO, but you still get the specialty of the CISO mindset, the strategies that come with that to help improve your cybersecurity hygiene, to kind of do risk assessments for your company. So check out his particular company. Let's see if I can find the website here. I have his LinkedIn page up. Uh, I probably should have had that before I started. Well, hopefully he'll talk about it on the, on, in the interview. Again, I interviewed him at the National Cyber Summit here in Huntsville back in October. And finally, Again, Greg, my apologies for taking so long to get this out. Here is Greg Schaefer. So I'm at the National Cyber Summit 2023 here in Huntsville, and I am joined by Greg Schaefer, the first victim of the Cyber Guy podcast table. He is the owner, I assume, of vCISO Services out of Franklin, Tennessee. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. And also the host of your own podcast, so go ahead and pimp that one right, out. Right, uh, host of the Virtual CISO Moment, and uh, we just recorded our 100th interview. Very nice, very nice. How's, the, uh, how's your listenership? Uh, well, they're still with me, so I guess it's pretty good. Right. Um, they're, uh, we, we stream on various platforms, uh, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, um, all the podcast platforms. So 
Trying to aggregate the number of uh, listeners is a little bit difficult, right. but um, it's growing. Good. That, that's all you can do is just get, you kind of got to, you got to solve, you got to help serve the people that are swimming towards you. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So talking about what your company does, obviously V is for virtual CISO. So for folks that may not be as associated with it, or have at least heard the term, how does it work? If you are a small business, how do you, how do you access it? Who should access it is another good question. So we'll start with those couple. So I formed VCSO Services back in 2017 because I felt that there was a lack of proper access to experienced personnel such as myself. I've been in IT and cybersecurity for three decades. So, um, And it was, it was a calling for me. I could have stayed as CISO for a bank and retired uh, down that path, but felt like I wanted to do something different. And... The concept is really simple. It, it, you, you have access to somebody who has been a chief information security officer or equivalent at a larger business doing it full-time to then provide that same sort of risk management advice uh, part-time for small and mid-sized businesses. Uh, now, the term VCSO has sort of exploded over the last few years, and it means a lot of things to a lot of people. And the one, the one thing that I caution people about is that when they start looking into virtual CISOs, make sure that they've had that risk management experience in the past, um, the virtual CISO. Because some, some people are just putting the VCSO tag on their LinkedIn profiles and just running with it, and that doesn't work too well. So how do you find, so once, so my guess is for a small medium business who really have a limited security budget, right? They're looking at, okay, I'll try this because they can't afford a full-time CISO, right. right? So when they once they get it, how do you find, I mean, do most of them like it? What's your retention level or, I mean, yeah, how's that work? Oh yeah, the retention level, We usually our clients are multi-years. Uh, the longest I have right now, I had since I first started the business over six years ago. Um, we work for long-term relationships. Our goal is though, the, the, the most successful client we'll have is if we work ourselves out of a job. If we can get them to the point where the company has grown and then they can hire a full-time CISO, we have laid out the groundwork uh, and created the program for them, that's great. And that happens on occasion. Usually we'll, we'll lose a client due to one of two things. Either they've grown and they can hire their own full-time now or mergers and acquisitions and they get acquired by a company that has a full-time CISO. Other than that, all of our clients that we've started with, we've, we've stuck with as a virtual CISO with the exception of one um, that they were undergoing some sort of policy change that it didn't work out on both sides. So when you go in, what do you find the environment like generally? Depends on why they asked, why they initially asked, uh, contacted us for services. Sometimes it's because they need to build a program because they're getting a client base that, that is requiring it. So a lot of what we see is like folks asking for SOC 2s, and a lot of folks don't know what a SOC 2 is. And so we'll help them not to become compliant with SOC 2, but to build a program so that they can pass a SOC 2 at a station. Other folks have been dinged in the past. I'm sure that from your career, you definitely saw several of those. Um, and they're like, that, that was sort of like the slap in the head saying, we need to do something here. We need to do it proactively. And then there are some folks that actually understand from a business standpoint, they've seen all of these things that have happened to other businesses and they don't want to be that business. And so, so it really depends on where they come from. I always ask my, my prospects up front, I try, to, I try to gauge two things. The first is, do they have buy-in from the upper management, the C-suite, the board of directors? And the second, 
are they just looking to become compliant or they do we do they really want to build a security program because if if they if it's yes to both that they're wanting to build a security program and they have upper management support then your program's going to be successful otherwise we're starting behind the eight ball, so to speak. It's it's very difficult to be successful if you don't have those two other things in place. Have you found that any of them said, okay, this is this virtual thing is great, but well, I'm a full time one now. Have you ever have any transition to like we just want you or or I assume you're you're a multi person shop at this yeah, point. Yeah. So have any of them said, hey, we want that guy full time. We don't want him virtually anymore. Well, um, yes, but we have in order to protect our interests, of course, because we. We invest a significant amount of resources in recruiting for our business. Um, we, we have built into the contracts a no-recruit clause. Now, we will help them recruit a CISO, but not, not elevate one of our resources to full-time. Gotcha. Do you find that the reason that they really need this virtual CISO is because they don't have a they don't have a strong cyber leadership background to start with? Is that is that what you generally causes the need for this kind of work? Well, that and the there's more awareness about the necessity and the um, positiveness of having separation of duties, particularly between IT and information security. And I like to explain to prospects and other folks the, the three lines of defense model where basically first line is like operational IT security management, firewalls, antivirus, that sort of thing. Second line is risk management, uh, making sure that your controls are properly designed in place and that you're properly dealing with and assessing risks. And then third line being audit comes in, keeps first and second line honest. And the uh, more and more folks are understanding the differences between first and second line are beneficial for the business. Now, that's not to say that you're going to have intentional nefarious activities from an IT person that has like all of their, all the access. They can do all the stuff and they can monitor all the stuff, but that's still not, that's not the best uh, configuration. There could be errors, there can be gaps, and yes, there can be instances where crimes are committed because they are not being monitored themselves. So I think businesses are understanding this a little bit more now and realizing that information security is not just about the cyber technical aspect of it. It is about risk management and should not fall under IT. And have you started to build in a, or maybe it's built into your system already, an insider threat program as well? Because I think I work a lot in the in the DIB community, and that's a mandate. That's mandated, right? But if you're outside of that, it's not a mandated option you have to have. You don't have to have an insider threat program. But if you look at all of the most of the intrusions and hacks going on now, it's there's some kind of insider aspect to that, or a lot of it. Like Tesla, for example, had two employees that released a bunch of customer data. Right. So how do you, are these companies even aware that that's a problem for them? So you, it, it's sometimes it's about how you present it. If I went and presented the term insider threat, generally speaking, the response is, we trust our employees, we would never, we, we don't need that that would actually be bad. We don't want to give the wrong impression, that sort of thing. So we don't call it insider threat unless we have to. We call it just monitoring. And, and we call it, um, there's, again, the separation of duties. Again, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing that says that Joe in accounting is going to do anything bad. But it's best practices just to make sure that we understand when Joe is logging in and what they're doing and just making sure that there's nothing outside of the normal activity that they're doing. So, so. To wrap that up in a very simple answer, yes, but we present it a little bit different. That's smart. Very good. So I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask everybody here because I think it's the, you know, it's the 
the phrase in cybersecurity going on is obviously artificial intelligence, right? So Elon Musk was in, at the Senate last week, and he said there's, you know, probably a 1% to 2% chance the machines get smart and kill us all. <laughs> probably, he probably must have watched Terminator 2 the night before, but whatever. <laughs> so I assume some of your clients, or most of them, are, are saying, how do I incorporate AI into what I do? H how do you see AI being incorporated positively into these business models? There are some folks that, that are of the opinion that, well, it's just another tool like social media. But then again, if you recall back 10, 15 years ago when social media really expanded and businesses were really getting involved, that we as a security community realized that, well, we should have some policy specific to that. I believe it's the same thing for AI. Um, there's a lot of misinformation about generative AI out there. They don't understand the different models. They don't understand the different threats and they're hearing about opportunities and there's almost this FOMO thing going on. And that's where gaps really happen. It's like, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. So uh, one of the things that we're doing this year, every year when we run our business continuity tabletop exercises for clients, it's one of my favorite things because I get to, at the beginning of the year, create the scenario. So I figure out, okay, well, what would be a good thing to test on this year? Really, most business continuity exercises are more or less testing, 80% is about the same thing. How do you market? How do you, how do you um, uh, communicate, rather, and all of that? Uh, I have a tendency sometimes to pick things that come true, so I gotta be careful. 2018, I did pandemic. Most people were like, well, why should we do a pandemic? There'll never be one, and there you go. Um, this year was generative AI, and the reaction thus far has been way across the spectrum, from one side that are like, they're not even considering it, to all the way on the other side where they've already decided to put in place policies and procedures on governance on how they use it for developing their software. So I don't really like the term Wild West at this point in time, but that's sort of the feeling where there's just a lot of, there's a lot of FUD around there with regards to generative AI, and we just gotta let it distill down to see what really is gonna filter out about the benefits and the detriments. I, I'm not one who's gonna subscribe to the fact that AI is going to take over the world. And now that I've said that, I'm probably gonna be the first target of the AI army, I guess. Um, but, but I mean, you never know. Just like, just like any tool, we got to be careful with how we create it, deploy it, and use it. I mean, nuclear weapons. Yeah, and I think the two biggest issues are the two biggest, out, the two loudest voices are the media and politicians. Neither of which know anything about it at all. So, so that so, and you you mentioned FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt. For those who weren't aware of that acronym, sorry uh, did, about did, that. Did, that's, it, that's all right. Did Algenbaum come up with that? Because I hear him talk about it all the time. He, oh no, no he, does, he came up with nothing. He stole everything. He, and yet. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. FUD's been around for forever. That's uh, you know, and FUBAR, and I can't say what it means. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. Well, talk about your podcast. Where can people find it? What do you talk about? Who's it? Who's the target audience? Virtual CISO moment. I have a discussion with um, somebody in cybersecurity, it doesn't have to be a CISO or a virtual CISO, but somebody who has an interesting story with regards to the cyber path. They could be someone with 30 years of experience or someone with three months of experience. And I delve into, it's usually in a few parts. I, I ask about their cyber journey, why they got into it, how they got into it, where they're going with it. Then I'll ask them about what they think are the most significant threats to small and mid-sized businesses, cyber-wise. And that usually generates a um, organic discussion like we're having. And then I'll pivot and ask them about something that's really dear to me, and that is, what do you do to decompress? We've got a serious problem in the industry where we've got people that are just taking on too much. They are turning to 
shall we say, bad habits in order to get away from that stress. Um, mental health is an issue in the, in the cyber industry. And all I'm trying to do is to promote the idea that A, you need to step away from it, and B, here are some really good ideas. And, and I've heard some really good ideas. Um, for me, I, I like to go out and run is one of the things that I do, just to get away. Um, and then finally, I just ask them about the, uh, what their plans are. And, and you can find it just about anywhere. You can go on YouTube. Uh, the, the handle for the channel is VCSO. Uh, the, you search for the virtual CISO moment on LinkedIn. We have a page, and that's live streamed on, that, on my page also um, every week, rather. It's on my page, but there's also one for the podcast. It's live streamed on Twitter and on the YouTube page, and then uh, all your podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, those sorts of things. Or yep, so Peloton and Pickleball are my two decompressors. Peloton and Pickleball. Not at the same time necessarily. But uh, well, I, that would be interesting. <laughs> I actually just started to get into Pickleball just a little bit. Um, you know, I used to be a big racquetball player. Oh, yeah. It's kind of it's hard because it, you can't use the wrist. I mean, I was I came from a racquetball background, like 20 years racquetball into pickleball. And you just, you just want to slam it's it. It's different. You, know, you it's have like, to. Yeah, you got to play the soft game. <laughs> Greg, thanks so much. Check out his podcast, the VCSO Moment. Virtual CISO Virtual, yeah. Virtual CISO Moment. Look for him on LinkedIn, Greg Schaefer. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes for how to find him. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time being the first victim here. No, thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. So once again, I want to thank Greg Schaefer for taking the time to sit down and talk to me at the National Cyber Summit for waiting for me to put this podcast together. I appreciate his patience again. Um, and again, apologies for, for being so, so late in doing it. So uh, if you have thoughts or comments on anything you heard in this podcast, feel free to email me, Darren at the cyberguy.com. Follow me on any of my, my social media places that I mentioned earlier. As always, if you have thoughts or suggestions for the podcast, if you have people who you think would be interesting to listen to, feel free to email me or hit me on LinkedIn. Let me know. I got a couple emails um, regarding that. Um, I'm kind of picky on who I select. So if you send a suggestion, I don't go with it. Don't feel offended. Uh, I'm looking more for, you know, cybersecurity practitioners um, who want to talk about how to keep people safe. That's kind of the role on this. Thanks again for listening. Um, this is going to be released um, a couple days before Christmas. So I hope you all have a Merry Christmas, a happy holiday season, however it is you celebrate. If you've if that's already passed, I hope it was good for you. So enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week. There'll be a couple more episodes of this Cyber Guy podcast coming out. Look for those. And we will talk again soon because knowing that knowledge is protection, if we can understand the threats targeting us, we can assess our risk and proceed wisely.